It's the Final Week Cricket Podcast with Adam Collins and welcome to the latest instalment of the 1999 World Cup Series made as part of the greatest season that was with Shannon Gill, Dan Bredig and myself. This time, India, but not as they are today. A quarter of a century ago, before their financial might dictated practically every decision made in the global game, the men in blue were just another cricket team. A very talented team with a group of prodigiously capable batters, but a side that would ultimately fail to reach the business end of the tournament in focus. To explain that progression, looking back before, during and after 99, there could be nobody better than Harsha Bogle. A great friend of the pod, back in 2018, he was our Christmas special guest, one of the most popular final word eps we've ever released. And with it being that time of year again, we thought this would be the ideal time to give you another taste of Indian cricket's great narrator. And in this case, it was actually an interview Gilly and I recorded with him, sat on Harsha's hotel bed in Southampton during the 2019 World Cup. All right, before getting stuck into it, a word for some other great mates of the final word, the mighty C-Bus superannuation. Theirs is a story of believing big. 40 years ago, founding members, unions and employers were signing on for superannuation for building and construction workers to launch on the 1st of July 1984. As CBUS approached their 40th birthday in 2024, they thank those founding members, unions, employers and leaders who through their vision and hard work have created a better standard of retirement. 40 years since the fund was established, those founding members have moved through their working lives into retirement and the super system they were the catalyst for has created something quite extraordinary for Australia, for retirement outcomes and for the national economy. Since CBUS was established in 1984, it has changed retirement outcomes for their founders and the 900,000 members they now have on board. Learn more at cbussuper.com.au. We're very proud to be in association with them throughout the course of this Australian summer. Remember, their fine past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. A lot more to come from CBUS in what will be a massive 2024 birthday bash for them. Okay, back into the time machine. To 1999 we go with Harsha Bogley for company. I'm Dan Bredig. And I'm Adam Collins, and this is the greatest season that was, World Cup 99. Throughout the course of the 1990s, India standing in the global game experienced a revolution, turbocharged by a passion for one-day international cricket. By the time the 1999 World Cup rolled around, expectations were lofty. Having fallen short when co-hosting the tournament in 1996, they came to England boasting a healthy balance of experience and youth with Sachin Tendulkar well into his lengthy period at the very top of the game. So they were right to believe they had every chance to lift the trophy again, having saluted at Lords the previous time the tournament was decided there in 1983. But it wasn't to be. The men in blue had it in them to pile on bulk runs, but not to do so consistently enough. While they were good enough to eliminate England with a superb performance at the end of the group stage, that came after Zimbabwe had shocked them, a result which would come back to bite in the Super 6 standings. Then, when running into Australia in red-hot form, their chances of glory were dashed. But alongside the other Asian teams in the tournament, India brought a lot more than wins and losses alone to this World Cup. 
Their passionate fans packed out every ground where they played, from tiny county postage stamps to the bigger test venues. With this support away from home becoming a permanent feature, it is said that after 99, India never truly again played an away game. Harsha Bogle has been the voice of Indian cricket for three decades and in 1999 was following the carnival around the country as a leading television caller and host. He joins World Cup 99 to discuss the decade that changed everything for Indian cricket and the tournament that could have been but wasn't quite. This is the greatest season it was. This is the greatest season it was presenting World Cup 99 and we're absolutely thrilled to have with us on the show today Harsha Bogle to take us through the India story from that tournament. But Harsha, before we dig into 99, we want to go back in time three years where India were beaten semi-finalist against Sri Lanka in a home World Cup which didn't end in conventional circumstances. The game was, I guess, essentially called off or forfeited due to the, the goings on in the crowd. Just wanted to get a sense from you as to when that World Cup ended, where the one-day game was in India. It was already very popular, but India can hide behind the fact that the game was taken away from them because the match referee said, sorry, we can't continue this game anymore. This is a very disappointing uh, performance by these folk here in um, in Calcutta. The Bengalis love their cricket, but they've got to learn to lose as well. Well, they look to me as if they're coming off the ground. This is uh, sensational stuff. This game is going to have to be awarded to uh, the Sri Lankans. The game was already lost. So I don't think India can complain about, about the verdict. I think the verdict was inevitable. It, it is a peculiar situation, though, because I think it was a bad first surface. And the groundsman had apparently told the Indian captain and the Indian team that this track would last for two days. And it lasted a, a fraction of that time. And some said afterwards that it was because of the opening ceremony. They hadn't had time to prepare the track. And, and, and so it was like that. But you, you always hear these stories, uh, these stories afterwards. But uh, it remembered more because of Vinod Kamli's tears as he was, he was walking off the field. But I think there was a great awareness that that game was gone anyway. There's one other factor actually before that happened in Kolkata. And I, ha- I happened to be in Kolkata while all that was happening was when... Uh, Australia, the West Indies said they won't go to to Sri Lanka. And overnight, there was an India-Pakistan joint team. Can you imagine that happening today? India-Pakistan joint team goes together and plays a game in Sri Lanka. Just to show that that it's, it's good to go. And they literally went overnight. And there was one player in the team, who shall go unnamed, who was in... In Kolkata, and they went directly from Kolkata. So he went to Sri Lanka, played a game, and came back without a passport. Wow, quite the story. We're straight off the bat, nicely there, Harsha. Uh, 96, one day cricket in India is defined by Sachin Tendulkar, who's already by that stage the, the, the player that the whole world is coalescing around as, as revolutionising the sport. Try and give us a feeling just how big Tendulkar was as he was climbing the ranks and becoming the player that we know he went on to be. Incidentally, well, ironically, almost since we are talking about one-day cricket, he was he was he was a better-known Test match player through till from his debut in '89 till about '94, when he was still when he was averaging about early 30s, late 20s, early 30s in in one-day cricket, and then of course in '94 in New Zealand he went and pleaded, literally down on one knee, pleading, saying, "Can I open the batting?" And he opened the batting, got 84 and 45, 50 balls, and then the legend of Tendulkar, the one-day batsman, grew after that. So by '96, really, India's Though India had a strong team, but India's, uh, India depended on Tendulkar to win them that World Cup. Off the field in the 90s, and b- before we get to 99, off the field in the 90s, television in India explodes with cricket. And yes. the, the financial aspect of where India cricket is going in the 2000s uh, happens. C- can you give us a sense of how that built? And uh, my recollection is that maybe the rest of the world were not aware during the 90s. It was only later on that they woke up to the sleeping giant. I'll take you back a little bit towards the early 90s in India when India actually had to pledge its goal. Our foreign exchange reserves were that low, a balance of payments were all over the place and India was in very deep, deep economic strife. And then came the momentous decision to open India's economy. So customs rules were relaxed, excise duties were relaxed, import duties were changed and suddenly India opened its economy to the world, something that a lot of people said would ruin India's economy. As it turned out, the multinationals came and I remember the 96 World Cup uh, with, with the Pepsi effect on Indian cricket. And Pepsi ran that campaign, didn't they? The 96 World Cup, Coke are the official sponsors and Pepsi said nothing official about it. Why, Sachin, have a Pepsi. <laughs> Pepsi. 
Nothing official about it. Aha! But because they came and Tendulkar and the others became poster boys because they needed to reach out to India and they realized that movies and cricket was a way to reach out to India. And so in the new liberalized Indian economy, Pepsi and the others became poster boys for the liberal economy. And that's how each of these players, because they became big through their deeds on television, but they also became big through their deeds in the, in the commercials. And they made some beautiful commercials around that time. So the aura grew ar- ar- around cricket. And by 96, India was, had started was on its way to becoming a different economy. So the 96 World Cup, yes, the first post-liberalization Indian World Cup. And I feel 99 World Cup might be the last World Cup before the rest of the world knew how big Indian cricket was to become. But they'd got an idea by, ni- by, by 96. Uh, by 1999, I think the sponsors had started becoming, they started becoming more Indian sponsors uh, go- going to the World Cup. Because I remember we, we came out with a pretty big crew to the, ni- to the 99 World Cup. There was me, as, uh, a couple of uh, Aussie friends of mine actually. Ray Blewett was the cameraman, My, Maud was the producer. We were going around, uh, f- uh, going around following India and it, 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 was, it was already very big in India. But I remember after the India-Pakistan game would have been Manchester, I could not get back to my room in the hotel. Because I could not reach the elevators. That's how packed the, the hotel lobby was. And that's in England. And that's when we realized, by 1999, it was clear that wherever India played was a home game. That started by 1999. Between times, so between 96 and 99 on the field for India, a few things stand out from an Australian context. One is that they absolutely annihilated the touring Australians in a test series in 98. Yes. But perhaps more influential was the, the Sharjah tri-series, the, the famous Desert Storm with Sachin Tendulkar making back-to-back masterful centuries. India would have gone into that World Cup feeling pretty good about their chances. You think, you, you ask a generation of people who are probably now in their mid-30s, well, no, even older, you're talking 97, 98, 98, so that's 20 years ago, they would have been, yeah, about early 30s. And for all of Tendulkar's career, those are the two games I remember the most. His, 20, really? his 25th birthday, Tony Gregg became an icon in India riding on Tendulkar's success because of the commentary where the balls were disappearing everywhere. Oh, it's all the way, it's way over the top, into the crowds again. Sachin Tendulkar wants to win this match. Oh, he's hit this one, Miles. Great shot. Oh, it's a biggie. Straight over the top. The little man has hit the big fella for six. They call it Desert Storm because of the, the, the sandstorm that came in between, came during, yeah, d- yeah. that came in during the innings. That was actually, come to think of it now, we talk 96, that was the making of the legend of Tendulkar. His, his 25th birthday and, and India doing that uh, twice, twice beating Australia. My memory is talking to Mike Kasparovic about it because the ball just kept vanishing out and, and Kasper always came to India, didn't he? Every time there was an Australian tour in India, Kasper was on it. So He'd still get picked now, I reckon. It's <laughs> yeah. the third seamer. Yeah. <laughs> Quite right too. So, so yes, India would have fancied their chances in 99. I remember going to uh, India's first game might have been in Hove against South Africa. And the day before the game, we're all, we're all you know, milling around like, like we do now before, before a game. And a couple of South African journalists came across to me and they said in, in the accent, and I won't mimic the accent because it's, um, it's disrespectful and not good at it anyway. And said, they said, where's your young new fast bowler? And I said, I said there he is, pointing to Ajit Agarkar, who'd just become the quickest to 51 day international wickets. And they started laughing and said, no, 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 not him. They said, you're fast bowler. And I said, he's 5'8 and weighs 60 kilos or 765 kilos, but he's, he's that guy. <laughs> so Ajit Agarkar was, was playing that side, yeah. And, and India, South Africa, an excellent side in 99. Well, and that brings us to, the, to that first match in, in 99. India make 253, Ganguly 97. Yes. But South Africa end up doing it fairly easily. Now, you, you were actually, so you were hosting the Star Sports I was I, I was hosting I was hosting the broadcast then and I remember in Hove we were sort of just just on a on, on a terrace I remember being on terraces throughout that 99 World Cup by the way <laughs> because it was cold and well wrapped up all right that that's my memory of the 99 World Cup and very briefly we thought there might be a chance there might be a chance but South Africa were way too strong and it was that finish where Rhodes and Klusner just knocked it off in, in, knocked off those 30 runs in about two overs To, to finish it off it was it, it was the first time that it was going to be closed in this World Cup wasn't it you look back at it now with, with uh, 2019 glasses on it World Cup game at Hove you just wouldn't see that now a, a, no. a capacity of about what four or five thousand people so we're thinking about we're actually recording this the night before India's first game in the 2019 World Cup being played at the Rose Bowl which I mean 
I don't think we should be playing World Cup games there either for a host of different reasons. But as far as capacity is concerned, I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to imagine the, the volume of people who are locked out the gate trying to get in at a place like Brighton. Guess what? Where did India play after Leicester? Leicester, that's right. Yeah. Where did India play after Leicester? Bristol. They're quite small venues. That would never happen now. And and to think that when the when the World Cup started, 1975, you had five playing days at the World Cup. That's yep. it. You had four. Every team played. There were four matches on one day. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, probably probably won't happen. Well, uh, won't happen today. I mean, I'm I'm flying in from uh, from Mumbai for this flight, and the only conversation on the flight was which games are you watching? There's that many people coming down from India to watch this right. game. So, uh, yeah, it would, I mean, Hove and Leicester, they, they, they'd have been filled in. 30 seconds maybe the second game of the tournament in Leicester is one of the most memorable Uh, we've had a conversation with Andy Flower from Zimbabwe about their side of the story um, and uh, and their memories of uh, that famous victory where Henry Alonga takes three wickets in the last over of a rain reduced game to somehow stun India who were ahead of the contests for almost the whole day yes. but from an Indian perspective there was something else going on that morning it's the fact that there was a minute silence for Sachin Tendulkar's father who'd passed yes. away and Tendulkar was back home A minute silence was observed before this match following the death of Sachin Tendulkar's father the Indian batsman had already flown back to Bombay Just to take you back a little bit I, I knew Tendulkar as a child growing up and I knew the relationship he shared with his father. His father was a professor and his father was sort of very laissez-faire and just said, you'd be a nice human being. Every time I meet Tendulkar, he said, my father would tell me, be a nice human being. And you could see the enormous influence his father had on, on Tendulkar. And I got a call in the morning saying, Sachin's gone. And I said, sorry, he's, he's, had to leave. he's had to leave overnight. I think Anjali might have come over actually because she said, how on earth am I going to break the news to him? And so I think she knocked on uh, Robin Singh and Ajay Jadeja's room. I could, I, I, I'm fairly certain. And then they together went. She said, "I couldn't even knock on. This. I couldn't even go and tell him myself." And so and so he went back. So India go to uh, go to Leicester, They're playing against Zimbabwe, which they should win most days, given that they were among the pre-tournament favourites coming in. And that tells you the impact Tendulkar already had in the team. Suddenly, without Tendulkar, you're saying, "Oops, now what?" And I think that, 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 that is one memory. But I actually remember the, while the game is happening, I think Sadagopan Ramesh got a half century in that game. Now, Star, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hosting for Star. And because we were only doing pre-post, whatever, we didn't have a commentary position. I was sitting downstairs, just literally beyond the boundary line. It was freezing cold. And one of the Indian journalists came across and we could see that Ramesh was getting very fidgety. So we were actually standing there shouting to him in Tamil, saying, don't get out, don't get out. <laughs> in Tamil, his, his friend is shouting to him yeah. in Tamil. So that, and he actually turned and said, who's shouting to me in Tamil? And then, of course, he got out immediately after that, uh, after that for a 50. And yeah, I remember the Alonga thing, Nan, Nan Monge was, uh, got out around that time. Uh, and so it was a Mongia dismissal that triggered two famous defeats for India. One, of course, uh, this one, and then the India-Pakistan game in in Chennai in ni- in '99. Uh, a little before this, actually. Yeah. So '99 so was a very, very was it was a story in itself. So India losing to Zimbabwe was news. I mean, that was the best Zimbabwe side I've ever seen. It, it was a fantastic Zimbabwe side, and yet to think that it was just assumed that India would win that game. What was the feeling then? I mean, two losses to start off with, with a, a pre-tournament favourite. Was the reaction from those around the team and at home fairly severe? I don't know as much around the team, but I had cut my teeth in India losing overseas. Every overseas tour I went on, India used to lose. So it was almost as if, ah, oh, there we go again, in, in India losing overseas. But the feeling was, no Tendulkar, what are you going to do now? Which, of course, set the scene for the drama that was to follow. In Bristol. Yeah, so the next game at Bristol, the county ground there, it's against Kenya, so the expectation is India will do well. And indeed, of the three scores made in uh, in the 99 World Cup above 300, this was one of the two that India yes. tallied, 329 for two. Tendulkar, 100 off 101, 140 rather, off 101 balls, which in that era is just absolutely yes. galloping along. That's Joss Butler um, with a shot of adrenaline uh, uh, by today's standards. But th- there was more going on to that Tendulkar story that day, wasn't there? I mean, there was, all, there was a chance he wouldn't come back. I was there the previous evening and I knew Tendulkar well. I'd been going around the team doing these little, doing interviews before the game started. And I saw, and I saw Sachin that tinkering around with his gloves and pads and he was wearing dark glasses darker than any dark glasses I've ever seen in my life and I went up to him and said I'm sorry we spoke in Marathi because we knew each other at that time very well we still do 
and I said, I'm sorry for what happened, but I said, there's a lot of people here. Do you want to tell them why you've come back and what it means to you? And he said, should I, should I not? What do you think? And then he agreed. And then he took off his, he, he took off his glasses and I've never seen a man's eyes that red and that swollen. He was, he was not just in mourning. He, you could see he'd been crying all the way. And I said, "Oops, you know, I, I hadn't seen that before." And then he 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 said to them that he didn't want to come. They didn't want to come back. His his wife and his family literally pushed him back, saying, "The only way you'll overcome your grief is to be in the one place that is literally your temple, which is the twenty-two yards between." It's no surprise that when he retired, he referred to the twenty-two yards as as a kind of temple for him. Your country needs you. The message from his teammates, his millions of fans back home. And most important to Sachin Tendulkar, his family in India. Yeah, I'm back because of my family and all the countrymen. Uh, it was my mother who actually told me that I should go back and play the World Cup. So he goes out to bat. And that is when, I think, for the first time, the gesture started. Every century he scores after that, if you notice, he, he's sort of looking up. For every century after that, it, it started there. An indication of his mental strength and look at the way he's running for that second he'll get it very very comfortably and that's another hundred in one day cricket we'll look up at the sky that's what he does when he gets a hundred it started there it put in shade the uh, uh, fine century where Raul Dravid as well that was to be the world cup where Raul Dravid's centuries were forgotten we'll get to that next hi I'm Matt Renshaw and you're listening to the final word podcast the next game, so India have that win. The next game, take on Sri Lanka. And guess where? Taunton. Taunton. Another little ground. So, <laughs> and little in every sense because you reached out and you could shake hands with people beyond the boundary rope. Clearly, the organisers underestimated the commercial yes. <laughs> implications of Indian cricket by scheduling them at these places. Six for 373, which we talk about high scores these days, but 373 in, in 1999. What were Morley's figures in that game? Would be interesting to see because Ooh. what I do remember is Morley bowling to Ganguly and the ball just disappearing over the, uh, over the boundary there. 302, the partnership, 267 balls, just over three hours, scintillating stuff. Uh Uh-oh, stunning. See you later. 150 for Ganguly. Ganguly finishes with 183 from 158 balls, which if it wasn't the record at the time, it was near enough to the record. It's obviously been broken several times since. Rahul Dravid, 145, so back-to-back tons. For a bloke who actually wasn't a mainstay of the Indian one-day side leading into the tournament. I mean, it wasn't... That was just before he was he was established, but he, he was far from a star. We'll I remember watching Rahul Dravid play. There was a tri-series in India in 97. The height of summer playing in 45 to 50 degree temperatures. Game started at 5 o'clock in the evening mm. because it was inhuman to play before that. India, Kenya, Bangladesh. Rahul Dravid's recall to play in, this, in the one-day side. And he comes into bat and you think there's 40 fielders because very stylishly, very gracefully, beautiful poetry in motion. He was finding a fielder with every ball. <laughs> so 99 was, in a sense, Rahul Dravid telling the world, you know what, I can play one-day cricket. Come look at me, I can play one-day cricket. You talk about Maruli's figures, none for 60 off 10. Chimin Devasu, he won the World Cup alongside three and a half years earlier, one for 84. Eric Upashanta. None for 80 off 10, I'm afraid to say. <laughs> Eric Upashanta. I, I remember Eric Upashanta. He was running <laughs> gentle outswingers outside off in no cover. You'll recall for detail, your attention is... is <laughs> astonishing Hasha. No, it's because I was younger things. and I remember things in 99 better than I do in 2018. So India would go on to yeah tally 373 for six and Sri Lanka who they'd lost to in the semi-final were all out for 216. So after those you know two bad defeats to start to South Africa and then Zimbabwe which is one you wouldn't have expected they fight back against Kenya in you know relatively soft game and then Pound Sri Lanka, so one would think that champions, remember? that's what I mean. Like you, you kind of, it's, they're, they're, I mean, we again, you, you sort of, it's hard not to apply 2019 standards to 2000 and rather to 1999. But, but Sri Lanka were a big deal in limited overs cricket 99, and, and you've done the number over them, and, and suddenly two and two, very well placed again. Yes, they, yes, they were Sri Lanka by you know 99 Sri Lanka playing in England. Sri Lanka won the 96 World Cup on the back of every spinner bowling. So it wasn't just Murali and Dharmasena, it was Murali, Dharmasena, Jayasurya, Aravinda. And they had vast 
and somebody else it didn't matter who pramod vikram singh someone's bowling so that win just like india's 2011 world cup win was fashioned around yuvraj and raina giving overs and so india batting, playing batting till number 7 that 96 world cup was sri lanka playing in the, in those conditions so by the time they came to england they were they were fish out of water completely that sets things up because two wins and you're playing england in the last I don't I remember that match yeah. of the of the group stage before the super 6 now they go into the india and england go into that game thinking we actually don't have to win this game to get through because zimbabwe are playing south africa and south africa are beating everyone and zimbabwe are, yes. a bit of an also ran we think while your while the england india games going on zimbabwe beats south africa and all of a sudden this becomes a, a huge knockout game. knockout game well then and 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 then on top of that your game the india england game back to that england side it had some unlikely there was a very young andrew flintoff very young andrew flintoff your and adam hollyoak the Ian second Austin. rounder in austin was there a lot bowler. of people who did a bit of this and a bit of that flintoff wasn't yet the flintoff he was to become he barely bowled in that tournament yeah, he, but he, their bowling unit of of mark Goff, elam people, elam Goff, like elam those. and malali all took over 12 wickets in the tournament so There was nothing yeah. wrong with their bowling. They all no, average in the teams. England in those days used to pick people who were a bit of this and a bit of that, but not sure. enough of either. All the same, that that game went from being, as Gilly pointed out, a game where either side could win and, and it wouldn't have mattered an awful lot, apart from carry three points with the Super Six system. And you both were progressing. Suddenly, due to the rain at your game in at Edgbaston in the Midlands, and what goes on down in Chelmsford in Essex, where Zimbabwe beats South Africa, you come back on the Sunday morning. and it's sudden death it is and we're we're in birmingham you know much before the redevelopment of edgbaston it's a much better much better looking ground now so then you had to literally walk through the office get up a staircase get onto the terrace and and we're hosting there and it is so cold on the second morning it was bitterly cold i was wearing six sets six layers on me six layers remember i i come from a hot land i'm wearing six layers on me and because it's that cold i've got a cap on and midway through while while i'm hosting and it's it's a 1 plus 1 while the camera's on the guest my cap gets blown off now it it looks bad suddenly you cut back and here's a guy without a cap right and you know how your hair looks when when you wear a cap <laughs> you had that hair yeah so the, the signal to the guest was keep talking mod who's a producer slips underneath the camera to give me his cap which was identical to the one i was wearing and i put that on and i'm back again it was it was nobody so knew? cold nobody knew because <laughs> we were off camera but I, the only reason i tell you is it, it was that cold and i don't know if the if as it turns out the conditions favored india because india had swing bowlers like like debashish mahanti uh i think those those uh, venkatesh prasad Yep. would have been aside he was he was he was a bowler pretty much uh, at, at his peak around that time in limited overs cricket but overnight england were actually reasonably well placed yes and then yes. came a came a came a decision that i remember very well which was uh, uh, graham thorp lbw shrinath and if you're standing at mid wicket you said ah oh, india were lucky there well alex stewart has made it clear in a previous chat that what he thought of that decision and that it being a bit of a turning point but um i, I wanted you tell us this. about mahanti because he's a bit of a a, a name a blast in the past that we never really Debashish Mohanty came from the state of Odisha yeah. and Odisha had never produced test players ever I think Debashish Mohanty might have even have been the first player from Odisha to come in and he bowled swing with a big open chested action first started taking wickets in 97 in the Sahara Cup and I remember Wasim Akram was not playing that tournament so he was with us in the commentary box and I said Wasim what do you think of Debashish Mohanty he said I'm looking at his action and he says i think the reason the batsmen don't know which way it's swinging is because he doesn't know which way it's swinging <laughs> because he was bowling out swingers with an open chest action open chest, yeah. big open chest action defies logic yeah. but he had come up through the ranks in india and he had he had a pretty good period around that time so debashish mohanty is yeah, there you are there's uh, <laughs> a great name for the but, and and same said as shivsundar das who came a couple of years later yeah. okay <laughs> india win yes and That's great for India because they they are now through to the to the Super Six There stage. Great scenes that night. I'm I'm that that I'm looking up from top, and the entire scene was there were just Indians all over. It was like winning the Test match. I I wasn't there obviously, but the seventy one Test match when uh, India beat England for the first time and. It, the whole stadium was just overtaken with indian fans it reminded me a little bit of that and i still remember one of india's one of very famous indian actor called tom alter sort of waving up to me from there and saying <laughs> yeah and whatever and it, it was it was wonderful and, scenes and though. the extra kicker on all this is that england who are hosting the world cup are meant to be vying for the for the title they miss out and and losing and are out of the the super 6 stage after because of defeat. history
victory, India beating England was a huge deal. Because over the years, England teams had come to India and they never sent their best teams. They gave uh, punishment allowances or hardship allowances to people that came there. So there was always an extra joy for Indian teams to beat, to beat England and then to beat England on the home ground. And isn't it true that by, that by the time they released the official song of the 99 World Cup, England were already gone? It was the next morning. So India, India knock over England for 169 just to go through the scores here in response to 232. So it's a massive victory. Yes. And the next day, and I should add... Anil Kumble got wickets, I think. As well, like yeah, the, well, yeah, yeah, well, they, they all, they all, they was, they were shared. So Srinath two, Mahanti two, um, Prasad one, Ganguly three for twenty-seven. Sarav Ganguly was the danger man at the end, and Anil Kumble he, two. He, he really rated his bowling. So you're through, and and uh, and England are gone. Through to the Super Six, that's right. Yes, and we spoke to the tournament director Terry Blake about um, about how powerful the subcontinental influence was on the tournament after that point. So going forward, Super Six into the semi-finals and so on, and the final in Pakistan's case. That scene you're you're presenting from Edge Baston from the balcony. That's how we remember it from Australia. The noise of the tournament, uh, the the sound of the tournament was of India fans. And Pakistani fans, Bangladeshi fans to an extent as well, making a hell of a racket and it being a wonderful thing. Is that how you recall it as well? So from Hove, where you've, you're playing in front of 4,000 people, to now you're building momentum, you're at a major ground like Edgebaston, and suddenly it feels like you are playing at home and the diaspora really turned out for you. And the hotels are full of Indians, in, Indians flying in to watch. By If the World Cup was in 92, you wouldn't have it in a foreign exchange from the Reserve Bank of India to, I mean, I remember when I came to England in 90, Australia in 92, I had to, the 40-page forms that you'd have filled in triplicate at the Reserve Bank. And if you're a journalist, your quota was a little higher, but otherwise that, you, you didn't have enough foreign exchange. My memory of coming here to 90 is making friends with English journalists, but not being able to go out and have a meal with them because we didn't have enough pounds on us. Not, you had enough rupees, but not enough pounds to convert them into. By 99, people have started flying in and you're seeing all these Indians around. The Indian movie stars have already started coming to... Um, so they were attaching themselves to yeah, things I'm, I'm by Amir Khan yeah. has come to watch the 99 yeah. World Cup in Manchester, so I'm, I'm hosting Manchester and there's Amir Khan walking by and by then it's big. And then, of course, India-Pakistan at Manchester and the game I don't think anyone wants to talk about is India-New Zealand at Trenbridge. We'll get to that very <laughs> yeah, yeah. shortly, but first of all, I just want to, before we talk about the Australian game, there, there was an issue... It, it, great finish from India to get through but the issue was with the Super 6 the three teams that they had beaten didn't make it India didn't carry points so India went into the Super 6 with a big fat zero next to their name and so had to win everything in, in, in the Super 6 Correct. And they get Australia in the first game at the Oval, which was built up. I mean, Gilly, you probably remember. It was it was built up to be like one of the biggest games of cricket Australia's ever played. It, it, was, it was prime time. We were talking about something it pretty prime ago. Time. <laughs> <laughs> It was prime time on a Friday night. We're going to start at half past seven on the TV and everyone in Australia was watching this game. Mark Warbats really well and makes 83 and they tally 282. They came home with the wet sail. The toss, didn't they? I think they may have. I they think popped the story Australia was in. It, it was a bit, it was batting pad. It was a lovely yeah, day. It was, a, it was one of those typical batting days in England. And I think there's a bit of surprise that India won the toss and put Australia in. Yeah, and they used seven bowlers. It was a bit of a botched job. Tendulkar bowled at one stage. Robin Singh didn't get through his overs. Ganguly, like, it, it, it didn't go so well. They went around. And 282 in the 99 World Cup is, a, is an imposing total. And then Glenn McGrath happens. Uh, McGrath picks up Tendulkar for a duck, caught behind, a beautiful delivery. It almost replicates what he bowled to Brian Lara to knock him over at the end of the group stage as well. He's got him! The outside edge, it's taken by Gilchrist. India have lost the wicket, it's the big one. He collects Dravid in similar circumstances for two. Ganguly falls, bowled by Fleming for eight. It's all falling apart, I think, at one stage. They are 17 for four after Azaruddin gets out, you're dead right. And then Ajay Jadeja comes to the middle, makes an unbeaten century, that closes off the game. But with it, in the space of one game, really... India's hopes of progressing to the semi-finals are all but gone. And it all came down to one game, saying, "Yeah, I mean, whatever happens, win at Manchester." But but the, I, I remember that game for for a couple of reasons. It was, it was a packed house, I think, and our commentary, our, our envisioned position was at the other end. Once again, right on top of the building, you had to go through the kitchen with a, on a vertical ladder, literally a vertical ladder to get up there. And in the break, Sunil Gavaskar finished his commentary to walk right across to come and he got late coming because he got besieged by Indian fans and there were that many Indian fans already by 99 the Oval was, was, was an Indian ground 
most times the oval tends to be a west indies are playing or india playing tends to support those sides so by the time he came and and he was he came up the steps he was he was panting and dina keen was the producer she said in my ear get him in now because we don't have much time left on the program <laughs> i said and he was panting couldn't get a word out i said i just say hello to him till he gets his and he was he was angry because Australia scored all those runs. He realized India's gone there, <laughs> and it was a tirade. The kind of I, I've never, I, I'll never forget on television. But yeah, it was it was a game I think where India made the wrong call at the toss. Yeah, yeah. And at that point, we just said all hopes are just about gone. Still on the still on zero, and Australia actually went know, went through zero, with zero too. But they got but they got the two points, so they're ahead, and they're, they're playing catch up. But if ever there was a game to get Indian players and supporters uh, excited and uh, determined for is you've got Pakistan next up. And Pakistan are sitting right at the top. Best team of the World Cup, I thought. Best, well, at that point, yeah. They yeah. Were, I mean, even, even the final. I, I just thought Pakistan purely in terms of balance, in terms of the options that they have, batting the all-rounders, Razak, Azhar, Mahmood, Vakar can't get a game, Shoaib bowling like the wind, Wasim still at the... Uh, still a very good bowler, so to beat Pakistan in that game, I, I thought actually Pakistan played to play with a better side in that uh, in that game. And there was a bit more going on behind the scenes as well. Most of the time, uh, the conflict between India and Pakistan is well a cold one in the sense that it's not actively engaged militarily. But that was different in this part of the '99 World Cup. There'd been a skirmish around Kashmir. Oh uh, well, skirmish more more than, more than a skirmish, more, right? More, much right. more than a skirmish, and it was it was the beginning of the. Uh, well, the brotherhood almost between the fans and everything just starting to come. It came back very briefly. 2004 to 2006 was the honeymoon period uh, for the fans again. When India went to Pakistan, Pakistan came back to India. But uh, I, I don't know if the same stress existed amongst the players. Because remember by then, India and Pakistan have played a lot of cricket against each other. 96, 97, 98 was a Sahara Cup. Three... Uh, Three, three years of the Sahara Cup in, in Toronto, you're playing five matches against each other. There were a lot of benefit matches that Pakistan players to come to India to play. So they knew each other inside out. They spoke the same language. They, they had a similar culture to the people of North Indias. So I, I don't think amongst the players there would have been this, this, the same feeling. Maybe more from players from the South, the Kumles, the Srinaths and the others. But uh, once you get onto the field, just because of sheer emotions on, on either side, and, and they would say in that time that you knew who had won an India-Pakistan cricket match depending on which side the guns were being fired on the border. So if, if India or Pakistan won, those guns would, would fire on the, on the border. And it was a start, I think it was the third time India were playing Pakistan at the World Cup and that it, it made it 3-0. 92, of course, was in, was in Sydney, but 96 was one of the most emotional, one of the great World Cup games of all time. The India-Pakistan, I think still in term, purely in terms of number of people, the most viewed uh, Indian television program the India-Pakistan game in Bangalore in 96. But, this, yeah, this made, this made it 3-0. It's, it's, uh, it's a cycle that's remained. That's Plum, too. He's missed it all together. There was no doubt about that. Well, that's all over for Pakistan. It's, it's a very 99 match. You, know, you make six, for, runs, six no. for 227. Dravid again with 61. and, and might have got a half century. Yeah, he did. He did. And, and then Venkatesh Prasad gets those wickets with the catch taken in the deep. Yeah, and 5 for 27 for Prasad. But, I mean, Dravid is on his way to actually being the leading run scorer of the tournament, which is quite amazing. Which is an incredible turnaround and a very turnaround for a very popular player. As I said a little while back, his, his way of telling people, look, I can play. And then, of course, a couple of years later, he was, he was keeping wickets, wasn't he? And... That's another story in itself. Runs weren't really a problem for India through the whole tournament. You look back at the, yeah. the stats, Dravid, 461, Ganguly, 379, Jadeja, 285, including that 100 against Australia, and Tendulkar, having missed a game, still made 253. All of them averaged above 43. So, I mean, runs, not so much of a concern, but really it was the carryover points. I mean, you, even when you went to play New Zealand in that final Super 6 game, which doesn't go to plan either. New Zealand uh, chased down 251 relatively easily with 10 balls to spare. I mean, it's not a bad score really, is it? I, I mean, remember that game once in threes, but it was two. It's a terrible joke, but everyone was cracking it at that time. <laughs> Everybody, how good a World Cup. Everyone talked to Jeff Roger Allen. That Roger Twos there was scoring runs all the time. Yeah, he was the fourth highest run scorer in the competition. Yeah, yeah Roger Twos got yeah. runs there. He's a big chance for our team of the 99 World Cup that we're going to name at the finish of this, of this podcast. Too right, he's in there. I reckon we can say Roger Tews is on the team sheet. But no, so the New Zealand game, I mean, 
it's a, it's, it's a dead rubber for you. It's, it's sort of not really a dead rubber for New Zealand. They needed to win that game, but uh, and they did it in style. So but, but India played like it was a dead rubber. To right, be honest, India right. played like it. All I remember about that game, I know it's twenty years later. All I remember about the game, if you ask me to describe the feeling in one word, it was insipid. That's the word that seems to comes to mind come to mind every time I think of that game. So I don't remember too much about the game. You've got the scorecard in front of you. I don't. Oh, look, I, it's, it's, it's but, not a particularly memorable game, really, no, in the sense that the, the, the tournament for you... And, and my favourite ground in England, in Trentbridge, was sitting up there watching it and in, it was insipid. The tournament comes to an end. To what extent did you continue to work over here for the semi-finals and final and how close attention were you paying during the you know, very memorable, uh, the, the very memorable climax of the tournament? Luckily for me, I was also doing non-India games and I happened to find myself at Leeds once again on top of the te- on, on a terrace on a ground that was not very hospitable in those days. It wasn't a great ground, Leeds. And that was, of course, a South Africa-Australia game. Wasn't there a bit of rain that day as well? There was, there was a bit yeah. of rain in the South yeah. Africa-Australia game yeah. because the only reason I remember that was I, I was sitting at the mic and pretending to be singing and they recorded that in Singapore, much to my great embarrassment. So that's how I remember. <laughs> Can we get a hold of that? No. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I remember that game simply because, to me, Steve Waugh was this plodder almost who fought against the odds and... Uh, of course, a catch at Herschel Gibbs dropped, but my memory is not the catch Herschel Gibbs dropped, but Steve Waugh going down on one knee and slog sweeping when the asking rate was going up. And suddenly, Steve Elworth is running in. He's, he's running a World Cup now, isn't he? And he slog swept over mid-wicket. And one of my, my favourite people is, is in the partnership with him at the other end, Big Tom. Yeah, so, so Tom, Tom and Stephen Tom. You should get Big Tom to come on the podcast. He's not been returning my WhatsApp. So. Oh, Big <laughs> Tom. Yeah, yeah. We've got an idea so for Tom Moody later. We in, didn't realise just show. how big that game was going to be, not just because it helped Australia qualify, but also Australia beat South Africa. And so come the semi-final, there's a tie. And Australia go through because they've beaten South Africa in the previous game. And just some of the finest leg spin bowling that, 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 that you will see from, uh, from, the, from the master himself, the magician. And in that semi-final, there was a fair bit of competition off the field too, wasn't there? In the commentary box, maybe. <laughs> I actually happened to be, as you know, I'm, 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 I'm in the gents and there's Mike Proctor beside me and I've never seen a man as distraught, someone who's not played a game as distraught. And I think if you listen to the commentary, Mike has said at one point when Klusner hits the second boundary, take that or something to that effect. <laughs> and then, of course, comes the run out there was no way anybody other than Bill Laurie was going to be on air for that, for that one. And it, it was just incredible. And because I was on the same side, I, I, I just saw Mike Proctor. He was, I mean, you could actually knew, know how many orifices there were in the human body because there's steam coming out of all of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I remember that game. It, it was such a great game. And every time South Africa thought they were going to go up, Shane Warren would take a wicket. But how good a South African team was that? Yeah, it was. They they often say it was their greatest one-day side of all time. They certainly came into the tournament as red-hot favourites for a reason, uh, but and just couldn't quite started, get there. The course of that game still hangs over South African cricket. Did we, did we realise, as it was happening, sometimes events become great because of what history does to them. At that time, you think, oh, wow, what a day. But you have no idea how big that event is going to be because history makes the event bigger. You don't realise it at the point. If South Africa can't... Uh, come and win 2003 it's not quite as big a deal in history is it but because they didn't and there you are i, I read a novel by 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 an indian writer on that time about it, it's fictional novel but about how something happened during apartheid that cursed south african cricket but but if you look at what happens south africa come back 1992 there's a rain rule they probably would have lost I, you you don't know what would happen but suddenly it's, it becomes 20 to 1 ball so they go 96, the steamrolling everybody until this gentleman called Brian Lara said, I want to play cricket. And he's 100 and decimate South Africa in that one game. 99 is, is that run out where two people freeze, not just Clues, but Clues and Donald freeze. I've seen Donald freeze before in a, in a Hero Cup game in 93. I've seen, I've seen Donald freeze. So, not 90, 96. Was it Hero Cup 93? 93. Uh, then they go to 2003 and they goof up the duck with Lewis. 2007, it was just Australia made that the most boring World Cup of all time. It was, it was just so boring. Australia was just too good. And then 2011, what happened to them in 2011? I'm going a bit blank. Australia beat them? Yeah. Yeah, well, New Zealand beat them? Well, whatever. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think, well... There's the, always a story. The way you frame it, it up around the, 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 uh, the event of 99 by those that come afterwards. And, and then Grant Elliott in 2015. Hi, I'm Natalie Jimonis, and you're listening to The Final Word. I remember the final well too 
because we, we're doing it in Lords in the giant mushroom, and we have a studio now. I'm not outdoors. We have a studio, and Sunil Gavaskar is supposed to star is doing its own commentary feed. Rahul Dravid now stays back and joins us in the commentary box. So it's not the world feed going back to India, but star is doing its own feed. There's an Aussie producer called Rick Dove who later headed Sky, so he's a, he's a star producer. And Sunil Gavaskar's got is, is starting with with boycott, I think, doing to the commentary, and he had to go down to give tickets to somebody. And you know how the lifts at Lords are; sometimes they can take time. He said, "Where's Sunny?" And I said, "No, oh, he's gone down. He'll come back." I know I've worked with Gavaskar over the years. He said he'll be here on time, but he said, "No." Nah. He said, "Where's he?" And he said, "Hasha, you." So next thing I know is I'm doing the first over of a World Cup final <laughs> because he couldn't wait. He wasn't sure that Sunny would come back in time, and then. Uh, Wajahatullah Vasti, that great catch yes, by Mark, Mark Wall. Wall. Listen to the commentary on that. And Jeffrey Boycott says, oh, you, did you call that a great catch? Oh, I said, Jeffrey, it was a great catch. Said, ah. <laughs> and I, it's got 100,000 hits on YouTube. That there day. you so go. I've and I end up picking, times. might have been three, three wickets, I think, in, that, in my commentary stints. And straight away, Rick Dobie, I, I finished my second stint. He comes up and says, mate, you're not doing a single over in Australia bad. You're taking too many wickets. <laughs> I would have thought he might have said thanks. <laughs> no, so, so I, I don't. And we got very friendly with Darren Lehman at that time, more than me. So we, we, we've got to go across to the other end for the celebrations. So we are actually inside that long room area oh, wow. where people are tossing the kangaroos. You know, they used to have yeah, these yeah, yeah. kangaroos around. People are tossing the kangaroos around. And so I was, I was actually on the other side. Uh, so you still celebrated won. a World Cup win. Well, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Had the opportunity in terms of the the postscript. The better team lost, I think, actually. But yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, they timed their run immaculately. Australia, the seven wins on the trot, and that's why they held up the trophy. In terms of the the legacy of this tournament for India, we were we were discussing this, Shannon and I, before we sat down with you. It, it, it feels as though it's the maybe not quite the dawn of the golden generation of Indian cricket, but getting pretty close to it. A, a golden generation who you have a lot of personal affection for, because soon thereafter, remember this generation came together in '96. Tendulkar had been around before, but Ganguly arrived in 96, Dravid arrived in 96, Lakshman came around a little later. Kumble had been around for a while, but started hitting his peak around then. Uh, Srinath started to bowl well. Just after the World Cup of 99, Tendulkar took a team to Australia. And India lost everything on that tour in Australia. And Tendulkar decided that he would never, ever be captain again. It was already his second shot at captaincy. South Africa come to India in 2000. And Tendulkar announces, I don't want the captaincy anymore. And they say, sorry, you do these two games. So Tendulkar leads in the, in the, two, in the two test matches and Ganguly becomes captain thereafter. And uh, Azaruddin plays his last test match. He's, he's called back. He plays his last test match. So Az- Azaruddin is gone. Uh, I think Ajay Jare just started to go out around that time. Then the Hansi Kronia revelations came. Indian cricket is completely shaken, in, is, is in turmoil. It, it builds itself around five or six outstanding human beings. And then suddenly India comes together. And by 2001, 2003, by 2001, 2, I think, really, that is when the core group starts to do well. Uh, that 2001 series against Australia goes down as one of the greatest series of all time, but also because it gave faith back to Indian cricket. So yes, post-99, a, a, a lot changed. Between 99 and 2003, in, in India changed. And was was Azaruddin, was he sacked as captain? Is that how it played out after the World Cup? He, he was, because I think straight after that, Tendulkar was given the job again. And Azaruddin was called back to play two test matches against South Africa, which would have been his 99th and his 1000th. And as, as it turned out, because he hadn't played, I think, for a while, he had to play the President's Eleven game before the first test match. And Nanty Hayward, who's a big South African fastball, hits him on the finger and he's got a hairline fracture that rules him out of the first test match. Only plays a second and then, of course, his life changes and he finishes on 99. But with still with a record that only Greg Chappell has, which is 100 in the first and last innings. As we near the end, uh, Harsha, um, you've spoke eloquently uh, many times about the the golden generation of Indian cricket and and, and about the influence that they've had on you and you on them in turn. Um, Give us a sense of how important those handful of players were to... Uh, building Indian cricket to what they are today, to what to the status that it has today around the world. That hand, that handful of uh, players that took India to the final of the 2003, uh, 2003 World Cup in, in South Africa against all odds, no one expected India to make the final. And as, as it turns out, India was supercharged. Australia were at their peak. Uh, That's a final we don't want to talk about. <laughs> but <laughs> in, in India, they don't want to. But it, it, yes, it was a coming together. 
and by 2002 to 2006 were some of my best years of, of, of watching Indian cricket. Professionally, they were very rewarding for me, but also because you could see in, India beat Pakistan in Pakistan, came close to beating Australia in, in Australia. You could say there was no one, there's no McGraw, but you play the team, you play the team you're up against. Uh, they, they played well in New Zealand. There was, so it, it, it was a wonderful time in Indian cricket. And that is why we say about India, you know, that on, when you're on a high, you know, there's something about to happen. But when you're right at the bottom, something is going to happen too. And Indian cricket would literally plumbed the depths and fans were leaving Indian cricket in droves. And suddenly this generation came and brought faith and trust back into Indian cricket. Could you ever believe then, 20 years ago, that Indian cricket would look the way that it does now? And by that I mean that it is just the, the giant that, let's be honest, runs world cricket and, and India does essentially whatever it wants. Could have you imagine that would have been the case 20 years ago? If you had told me that India's administration would flex its muscles the way it, it has in the last seven or eight years, well, not as much in the last two years, but in the period just before that, and the peak came in the 2015 World Cup in Australia, uh, no, I wouldn't have believed that. Because I didn't think India's administration would, uh, would, would, would handle power the way, that, uh, the way that it did. I keep saying that anybody in that kind of power, everybody in that kind of power, irrespective of the culture, they are behaves the same way. And we've seen that with presidents and nations as well. But I, I, I wouldn't have believed that. I would have believed the fact that India would have become big. But there was to be a turning point in 2008 that, that, that made Indian cricket financially such a big superpower. That, of course, was the, was the coming of the IPO. And... India's power was demonstrated very, very strongly on that 2007-8 tour with the whole Simons incident. And that is when I think people realized that Indian cricket had a financial power that made other countries accept India's point of view. Whether they agreed or not was a separate issue. But on the whole Simons issue, I was very surprised that Australia uh, reacted the way Australia did. And I, I know that Simons has said to be once he bears no grudge against against Harbhajan as much as he does against the fact against Australia because they backed India and didn't uh, and, and did stand by him so yes the the makings of the financial juggernaut in 96 the first signs 99 the fact that you're seeing all these people come and Indian uh, the games are becoming home games I remember doing a game in Bristol and Nasir Hussain said at the press conference who's who's the home side here and thereafter by 2003 Every game that India played was a, was a home game wherever they played. Pasha, as always, wonderful to get you talking about uh, games and series of, of yesteryear. It's, it's, it's wonderful to have you on uh, the greatest season that was presents World Cup 99. Thanks for being part of it. Pleasure. This is the greatest season that was World Cup 99 with Adam Collins, Shannon Gill and Dan Brady. Uh, Gilly, before we go into the nitty-gritty of our conversation with Harsha Bogle about India's World Cup campaign in 1999, it's worth noting where we recorded the interview, isn't it? Well, yes, and I, I don't want to betray any confidences, but we, we recorded it from uh, Harsha's hotel room and specifically on his bed. So we were in bed with Bogle. It could have been the subtitle for this episode, really. It may still uh, all be. All above yeah. board, of course. <laughs> yeah, it was just... It was we, still we were very both well sitting on the end it was of his a, bed yeah, no, it was, he was, he was uh, on another part of his bed and the conversation flowed. No, it was outstanding. Harsha, as always, he's a, he's a wonderful person to get on the end of the line to talk about anything when it comes to Indian cricket history. A scholar as well as a commentator and a, a narrator of Indian cricket for so many years now, Dan. I think that World Cup 99, in, in many respects, can be seen as the last time that India weren't a huge team in the tournament and by that I mean look at the venues they played at they had capacities early on of maybe four or five thousand people you compare it to when we're recording this episode which is a day after India and Pakistan in the 2019 World Cup so 20 years on a fixture which had 800,000 applications for tickets but it was a different world at 99 World Cup especially early on when they were playing these group games in places like Bristol and Hove. I think there's a story here that can be uh, drawn from uh, when we spoke to Terry Blake about where the World Cup was at in terms of people thinking that cricket had become bigger money but it wasn't it hadn't quite hit in terms of what the rights package was worth for the 99 World Cup and it's true this was the last tournament before they started selling their rights in bulk and you started to see the financial mm. impact of that and that's also reflected in where India are at obviously the 1996 World Cup looked huge and was great to watch on, on TV and, and, and was such a seemingly such a big event but yeah India in terms of its uh, economic drawing power I suppose for both the ICC collectively and each individual nations for bilaterals is reflected in the draw that they have the venues that they're playing at and and, and I think just the level of, of expectation really around them. Gilly, even though it's not a campaign that 
ultimately ended well for India. Talking to a lot of Indian fans about 99 in the last couple of months, as I do, I'm such an interesting <laughs> person to go to dinner with, they still reflect fondly upon it due to the, the bulk runs that were scored, especially from players like Ganguly and Dravid and Tendulkar, who all had big days throughout the course of the World Cup. Yeah, and Tendulkar was a, obviously already a superstar and Ganguly was, was around the mark. Dravid was a real revelation during that tournament and I suppose it, it laid the foundations for that golden generation that was to come. Other guys that weren't in that World Cup but were, were round the, the fringes of it went on to become superstars, the Laxmans and these sort of guys. So I can see why that fond, where that fondness comes from because it was the start of something and it was probably the, the bridge from Tendulkar being the shining young superstar into him having a, a gang behind him that could back it up with the bat. Dan, another theme of those conversations with Indian supporters, specifically when it comes to Sachin Tendulkar, is they always point out that he didn't play against Zimbabwe. Obviously, he was back home at the time due to the fact that his father had died and there was a minute silence before that game. But the Zimbabwe fixture did have quite an influence on India's progress through the tournament in terms of carry forward points and so forth in the Super 6. The knock-on effects of it ultimately mean that they go into the Super Sixes in the same boat as Australia, needing to essentially win all their three games to to get through. Yeah, the Tendulka being absent for the Zimbabwe game and the general attitude of Indian fans that oh well, you know that we, we would have won that easily had Tendulka been playing. It's a it's an interesting rumination on something that we now know in the fullness of time of the of the, the whole context of Tendulkar's career, which was quite a lot of his hundreds not made in winning causes. And also the fact that uh, this is a Zimbabwe side that uh, that they play that probably didn't have great, great expectation attached to it at the time of that game, but then gave a very good account of themselves over the course of the tournament and uh, also had a you know pretty good record in international cricket overall at the time. So, uh, yeah, it's a sliding doors moment for India at the World Cup that Tendulkar isn't there, but uh, there may have been another more intriguing story to be told about how that game pans out, even if he is there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the fact that Zimbabwe won that game did change the atmospherics of, of the whole World Cup 99 so I'm glad it happened and that's not from a from an Indian perspective from very much a, a Zimbabwe uh, angle that them winning against India changed everything and it's a sort of upset that we that we do love in a World Cup but India executed their own upset if you like against England who leading into that crazy final weekend which we've referenced several times on the show Shannon um, the two day game is what it became England-India with the reserve day there which has been a, a talking point actually during the 2019 World Cup but we won't go there at the moment it was India on that final day of the group stage who eliminated England despite the fact that when the, the two teams arrived for it, they thought they were both going through regardless of the result. It was interesting to hear Harsha talk about how much that meant to Indian fans. He still looked at it as a, a win over the, the colonial rulers mm. who, and it w- would be one of the more significant wins over, over England in, a, uh, in any fixture because it was in a World Cup at such an important time. So we probably forget how much that win meant even though they didn't go on and compete in the semi-finals they were able to do that before they got to the Super 6, which was significant for for Indian cricket. A controversial game in many respects, Dan, on the basis that, and to explain what I meant by they thought they were both going through, if Zimbabwe don't beat South Africa on that same day, then England and India is essentially a dead rubber. They're both getting through. But instead, England have a, a tough chase. India bowl beautifully, not least Debashish Mahanti, who comes up in conversation more times on this podcast than most bit players, but deservedly so during due to the way he swung the ball that day and the controversial leg before decision which Harsha touches on Alex Stewart touches on again you talk about sliding doors moments if Thorpe survives that and England make it through it's a very different tournament because it may very well be that India might have been the side that missed out that day oh yeah look the Graham Thorpe LBW decision Javagal Srinath from around the wicket that is a very very sharp angle from off to leg when uh, when the ball hits him so something that has, has filled a that's, lot of that's diplomatic Dan England players with, uh, with, with anger but the uh, the way that that game unfolds and the fact that the Zimbabwe-South uh, Africa game is going on at the same time, I've, I've said before in this podcast series that it reminded me of, you know, a sort of a last day of the Premier League kind of situation before there was, you know, multi-screen options and, and, and digital come in. I think the Debashish Mahanti cameo uh, swinging the, the Duke's ball, uh, vast distances, though not at great pace, reminds me a little bit, actually, uh, I know we, we spent a lot of time talking about Jeff Allett in this series, but a little bit of a 
right arm Shane O'Connor, Debashish Mahanti, someone who yeah. Um, could uh, yeah swing the ball a lot without being particularly quick. But on a grey day at Edgbaston with the uh, storm clouds closing in ahead of the rain that was inevitably to come, uh, he was very difficult to deal with. I, I love that, Dan. That's the most greatest season that was comment that's ever been made, I think. Debashish Mahanti is like a right arm Shane O'Connor. I love it. I'm sure other people <laughs> will as well. India, after getting through the group stage, they run into Australia, who are just kind of building and hitting their peak, Gilly, and they piled on a big total. They, they ran through India and all but ended their campaign that day at the Oval. Um, they, it was just poor timing. If they had got Australia earlier in the tournament, who knows? Yeah, they ran into them the wrong time, and it, but it probably the, the bowling of India was the weakness throughout the tournament, and you can see that. Uh, on the stats sheet, their their batting was big at times, which which gave them big wins and helped them uh, get to the, the Super Six stage with their run rate. That was going to be their weakness, and it was that day when Australia piled on the runs, and then um, McGrath got through the top order fairly swiftly, and it was um, it was never going to happen for them. So it, it it was over and out. But it was a I suppose it was one of those campaigns that sort of never really got going. Um, apart from a, a couple of games where they where they piled on huge scores. Yeah, and we'll come to one of those in a moment. But, Dan, it's quite interesting that we're so conditioned to India playing Australia seemingly every few months. I know it's not quite that dramatic, but it feels that way sometimes in all three formats of the game. It wasn't that way in the 90s. And if you use the 1999 World Cup as a starting point, from there, they, that's pretty much when this repetition of the two teams playing each other begins. Because before that, yes, there's a test series in 1998, but you look at the one-off test in 96, the previous time they toured Australia for a bilateral series was 91-92, I think I'm right in saying. Later that year, in 99, that's when they come to Australia and then the sort of consistency of purpose continues thereafter. The transition from not playing each other at all to playing each other too much, arguably, is right in the middle of happening in 99 and that means that you have, well, two things really. You have still a sense of anticipation and a little bit of mystery about how Australia and India are going to line up against each other, but you also have the starting of some narratives in terms of how one player is going to go against another how the how the two teams are going to line up and certainly the one that is absolutely critical to that game is McGrath and Tendulkar and uh, the fact that uh, McGrath didn't go to India in 1998 being injured and so didn't didn't face India um, in that series and that was something that uh, that the Australians and Indians both wondered how that series might have gone had he been there certainly you'd think would have been a lot closer and then yeah that game at the Oval after Australia put up a good total on the board McGrath just goes right through India like a knife through butter. Gilly I mentioned uh, a couple of minutes ago that I was yesterday at Old Trafford for India and Pakistan in the 2019 World Cup well in 99 that's the ground where they also played at India won by 47 runs it was not a game that mattered really really on the basis that India by that stage couldn't get through after losing to Australia they had no carryover points but it means an awful lot between those two nations not least the fact that the game was played when they're well let's be blunt that they were actually at war at yeah. that stage over Kashmir it wasn't always the case but during that World Cup it was a, a, a brief time during their relations when they, there was an armed conflict going on but the game was played out peacefully India won with a Rahul Dravid half century and then uh, Ventakash Prasad took five for 27 and, and ran through Pakistan from an Australian perspective and, and, a, and I'd say from an ignorant perspective really it's only in recent World Cups that we're, we've really understood the depth uh, of this matchup and how how it's watched in 1999 we probably wouldn't have seen it as, as being something as big as what was then but i mean yeah you look at look at the interest and the tension around their fairly rare matches these days but you can just imagine what it was like with that backdrop at that time. And the final Super 6 game in India's final game, they actually made 251 for 6, which is a pretty big score in 99 World Cup terms. Ajay Jadeja making 76. But I'm glad that in in their in their defence of that, even though it was ultimately unsuccessful, New Zealand winning comfortably with a couple of overs to spare and five wickets. So Debashish Mahansi was the best of the Indian bowlers with 2 for 41 off 10. So at least our guy got one more day in the sun. And, and I think there was... Um, a bit of a sense of you know this is this is more or less the the result that India deserved out of the cup the way that things had gone for them obviously they they needed to have beaten uh, Zimbabwe in the in the group stages that changes things a lot but also the fact that they got absolutely flattened by Australia in the first Super Six game and I think that is probably the result that when you look at the tournament now yes India had some terrific batting names and some pretty good bowlers in terms of Srinath and, and Mahanti and Kumble obviously. Uh, yeah, they weren't yet the sort of collective that was going to um, put 
put together a winning World Cup performance. And I guess, Gilly, the best way to understand where India was at in 99 is to look at where they were in 2003. Not only did they make the final, but the way you think about the World Cup in 2003, India by that point is a giant. 99, the noise they made alongside the Pakistan fans, the Bangladesh fans, the Sri Lankan fans was, was notable. But by 2003, it's a whole different ball game. Yeah, well, as Harsha says, this is the, the first time in 99 when India never played an away game because he could see the yes. supporters in in hotels at grounds that he'd never seen before. So all of a sudden, the game has got so big in India in the, in the 90s, and I suppose a little bit to do with the, the liberalisation of the economy that we now have fans that can go and support their, their team overseas. He sees it in 99. The rest of the world probably not awake to it just yet, but by 2003... Um, India's well on the way to becoming the power it would be. And in closing, thanks to Harsha Bagley for being part of the project. He's always been so supportive of the work we do. Thanks to Bad Producer Productions and Jay Mueller for making it possible. Thanks to our loyal patron subscribers and those who've given us a review on iTunes or a rating. That makes a, a pretty big difference in terms of how this podcast gets disseminated around the, around the World Wide Web. Uh, thanks to Dan, thanks to Shannon, and thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks for being part of it. This is the greatest season that was World Cup 99. We'll be back with you again soon. Yeah.